Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you. And on today's show, haven't done this in a while, so I figured I'd look back in on the minor leagues, especially now that we're, you know, about a week out from the draft. I've been able to read around, get some analysis from multiple sources on that, take a look around the minor leagues, see how the top prospects in particular are doing. And figured I would come on here and share with you all some of my thoughts on what has gone on with the Rocky system this year and what the future looks like. Especially as, you know, we, we start to move our focus more toward the future. And we'll, of course, see what comes of the trade deadline here in a couple of days. I've given lots of thoughts on that. You all know where I stand on that. And so all there's left to do is let that play out and analyze it afterward. However... There is an interesting notion of, and I've talked about this and written about this a few times before, about a month and a half, maybe two months ago, I did kind of my big rant on how the Rocky system is a lot better than most people realize and they were given credit for. This is for a number of reasons before we get into the new additions, right? It's important that we go back and look at why the Rockies farm system has been ranked anywhere from the bottom five to the bottom 10. So for some people, the bottom one for depending on when you were getting these rankings in the last couple of years, right? And there are a number of reasons why that was the case. One is that very legitimately, the Rockies graduated a ton of prospects in 17, 18, and 19. They had an inordinate number of prospects debut from them. You know who I'm talking about if you followed this team closely. Everyone from Raimel Tapia and Ryan McMahon and David Dahl to Kyle Freeland, Armand Marquez, John Gray, Trevor Story was in there. Right, There's a lot of people that debuted and became fixtures at the major league level, but it was a lot in three years. In fact, and, and I'd have to go back and remember exactly because I'd, I'd written an article you know, in another lifetime, in another place, about this whole concept of the major league debut and the way the Rockies had sort of gotten really used to this process over two years because I think they had had something like 15 guys. And, you know, some of these were like relievers. Like, does anybody remember Brooks Brown? Like, not all of them stuck, right? But in general... That depleted their farm system, right? That That's something that, that kind of happens regularly. Now, of course, the Rockies only went to the postseason twice. They didn't go deep. They didn't go on a World Series run. So a lot of times when this happens, when a farm system ends up taking a big hit in terms of its rankings because it graduated a bunch of good prospects, you know, people don't notice it or don't care because that team is winning a lot, you know, and... The Rockies obviously are not winning a lot. So once 19 and 20 came around and 21 and the Rockies were losing and people were going, well, you know, at least these other losing teams have good farm systems. But that's because the Orioles and the Royals and the Mariners and these other teams had been losing for longer. They, they, <laughs> they'd been building up their farm systems. Right? The fact that the Rockies were good in 17 and 18, 
and really should have been good in 19, and we're not going to dive into that here right now, but re really did hurt them to some degree in this farm system question, right? Secondarily to that, the Colorado Rockies farm system has always been underrated for a number of reasons that include evaluators being frustrated that the Rockies don't give them very much information, which is a very real thing. The Rockies play it closer to the vest than any other team. They're not great about, especially during the brightest years, uh, but still they, you know, arguably overly, but they view their information as proprietary and they don't want to tell other people how they're doing things, uh, whether that's because they believe it's a competitive advantage or, you know, because they, they think that it'll be viewed oddly or they just don't trust the media, whatever it is, they tend not to give evaluators, you know, the people who really get into measuring minor league systems and players a bunch of information the way several other teams do. And so that does often mean that, you know, it's it leads to, I think, a subconscious bias in some cases. I, I think some people are very conscious of it and they just don't care. They're taking it out on the Rockies. But there's plenty of guys who it's just, you know, if you view two prospects as relatively equal, but one plays for a team that you don't respect and they don't respect their evaluators, they don't respect their process, or they don't understand it, or they're frustrated that the Rockies don't give them information, right? All of these things come together and... When all other things are equal or close to equal, the Rockies prospect will be rated lower. It happens all the time. Kyle Freeland was never a top-rated prospect. Charlie Blackman was never a top-rated prospect. Before he debuted, Trevor Story was not a top-rated prospect. I think he appeared in the top 100 once when he was like in high A, but when Trevor Story was in double A, triple A, you know, getting ready to make his debut, he was not considered a perennial all-star, right? And a lot of that goes into the way the Rockies just aren't generally given credit for having done good things ever. It's when the Rockies do a good thing, it's blind squirrel finds a nut, you know, broken clock and all that stuff. When they do a bad thing, it's entirely about this culture of failure and everything that they do is wrong. And a lot of that is just, unfortunately, evaluators and media people taking out their own frustrations on either not understanding or feeling like the Rockies aren't being fair to them. So they just don't bother to, to go the extra mile to try to be extra objective about some of these players who the players themselves deserve fair evaluation, right? But even inside of that, there of course are exceptions to the rule and there are certain players who stand out enough anyway that they're going to get the attention and they're going to get certain evaluations. And there's also the fact that over the last two seasons in particular, you know, the pandemic years during 2020 and 21, a lot of these evaluators weren't watching the prospects in person, not through any fault of their own. They just couldn't get eyes on. And so there was a lot of analysis that has come out in the last couple of years that has really been just across the board kind of unsteady. And that's why you're seeing more and more jumps like Ezekiel Tovar goes from not being in the top 100 prospects to being in the 50s. You know, that's an enormous jump immediately. Drew Romo's had some enormous jumps. Zach Veen has been seen as a superstar from the second the Rockies drafted him because there are some guys, again, he's an exception to the rule, right? But essentially, the Rockies and their 
evaluators and, or I'm sorry, and their coaches and their prospects and just like their players. It's the same thing as guys not getting credit for MVP position players because their numbers are inflated because of Coors Field, but then Kyle Friedland still comes in fourth instead of second or maybe first for Cy Young voting because he doesn't get the opposite credit, right? Same exact dynamic exists in the minor leagues. I don't know why people would think it wouldn't. It's always funny to me when people go, no, 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 no. The Rockies farm system is completely fairly evaluated like really that's the one part of the team like all this other stuff we know even people who are highly cynical and very frustrated and 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 angry at the Colorado Rockies know that they aren't evaluated fairly on a national basis they know that it shouldn't have taken Larry Walker 10 years to get into the Hall of Fame with better career numbers than Derek Jeter who's seen as a borderline unanimous guy right that's clearly a gigantic disconnect and that same disconnect exists just on a you know micro scale, if you will, in the minor leagues. And it always has. And so that needs to be kept in mind when you're looking at these people who are evaluating farm systems and ranking prospects and ranking farm systems and all of that. That said, it's been kind of amazing to me to see in the last year and a half or so that a lot of these people have been doing and about face for the Rockies. And they've been admitting, like, oh, maybe we were wrong a little bit about this player, this player, that player, and maybe I guess that means kind of, to some extent, the entire system. There's been general praise for this draft. So that's why I want to get into this, and then we'll talk about the system overall. And I'm going to hyper-focus on the top three players because I just met them the other day, and those are the ones that tend to be, you know, you get beyond that in the baseball draft, and there will be more time, actually, once they start playing games for me to highlight this guy, that guy, or the other. But you don't know who the next Sam Hilliard and Scott Obergs are going to be until they get out there. Both those guys, 15th round draft picks, by the way, Hilliard and Oberg. You don't know. But the top couple of rounds, obviously, you know, that's where you can dive in a little bit, do some analysis. I sent out a tweet, you know, during the draft that the vast majority of, of MLB draft analysis that you get day one and day two, it's just largely useless. And it's, you know, not anyone's fault necessarily, because we do have to cover the draft still, but it's just... You know whose fault it is? It's football, but I don't have time for that particular rant right now. But the other sports, football and basketball, I think, you know, people get the indication that you can project what a guy does at college football. You can more or less look at a superstar high school guy, but most college basketball guys and go, yeah, if he t- if he does that at the next level... He should be able to, you know, and maybe a little better defense. This, that, you got, you got to adjust some things, right? But, but baseball just does not work that way. Like you really don't know if a guy can hit a forget major league curveball or slider, a double A curveball or slider till he sees one, and there's no way to see one until you get to double A. They don't have them there, you know, and that's the problem with minor league stats. In general, you know, Clayton Kershaw, they don't have Clayton Kershaw in AAA. They don't have anything close to it. There's there's no way to prepare for that. So, keeping all of that in mind, 
what did the Rockies do with their top three picks? This was really fascinating to me. And, you know, how does it impact the system overall? With the number 10th overall pick, their first round pick, the one that they ended up with because, you know, a lot of in a lot of people's mind, they failed to lose properly last year. Right. They could have tanked harder and gotten Matt Holiday's kid. That could have been fun. But what they did was ended up with the 10th pick. And other than the, the surprise Kumar Rocker pick, right, took the pitcher they basically had their free reign on the first pitcher they wanted. As much as this was, uh, you know, a draft, especially early on, of position players, we all know that the Rockies have difficulty, more difficult times than anybody else in Major League Baseball, getting pitching through free agency uh, and maybe through trades. Because there's a difficulty that comes with that too, right? More broadly speaking, whether you're talking about Mike Hampton, Denny Nagel, Jim, Jeremy Guthrie, Wade Davis, Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, when a guy comes here and it wasn't necessarily his choice or you had to overpay to get him here and so he likes the money he's making but he doesn't like going out there and pitching, you create these problems for yourself, right? So... They need to draft guys who are going to have the right attitude, who are going to have the right mentality, and are going to have the right stuff. They have to draft and develop players like John Gray, Kyle Freeland, and to some extent, obviously, it's a little different, but with Marquez and Sensatella. Marquez, they acquired through trade as a minor leaguer. You all know the stories. So Gabriel Hughes, out of Gonzaga, is the guy they take here. And this was really, really fascinating. This this was clearly the most kind of controversial thing that they did because the rest of the picks for the, for the sources that I trust, which are Prospects Now, Baseball America, uh, Baseball Prospectus, right? Overwhelmingly positive, rave reviews of the Rockies. And given the context that I opened with, and that's why I wanted to start with that, that's remarkable to see because... The Rockies have to do really, really well to get that kind of positive attention. If there's a reason to think they've screwed up, it will be written that they have screwed up. And I saw the lowest grade I saw for their entire draft was a C-plus from one publication that I do not really buy into ever. Everybody else I saw, it was B-pluses and up. A ton of A's for the Rockies grade in the draft. But there was some interesting conversation about this first pick, Gabriel Hughes, who, right-handed pitcher out of Gonzaga, the scouting report said he could hit up to 97. He uh, he wasn't going to marry himself to that kind of velo as he was talking to the media down at Coors Field a couple of days ago. He said, you know, maybe clock me in 92 to 94, dial it up, 95, 96 if I, you know, really need to, but it's strong arm side sink. So right from a right-hander, that means it's going to tail down and in on a righty, and it's going to tail down and away from the lefty. And it is a pitch that when it's really good, has worked for worked well for a lot of Rockies pitchers here. Now, I'm not going straight to Aaron Cook, but that's obviously your best case scenario for a sinker ball heavy pitcher. There was an idea for a time that proved out not to be great that 
you would that the Rockies should try to just get a bunch of those guys, right? And you know that trying to strike guys out was going to put extra wear and tear on the arm at altitude, and you know it could be difficult anyway. But if you just kept the ball on the ground, right? Don't let them hit it in the thin air. There's a certain amount of logic to it. You just can't force guys to be a pitcher type that they're not, and you also can't be monolithic in your philosophy. You can't just draft guys of one type and forego somebody who may be far more talented. So as I looked through this and I saw, you know, and he's got a pretty good slider, says he's been working on his changeup. So fastball slider guys are, you know, obviously that's fairly common. It's something the Rockies have done fairly well with. You know, again, it's the kind of John Gray uh, style here developing changeup everybody who gets drafted it seems like uh, unless a guy is is known for his changeup everybody else is usually a fastball slider guy with a developing changeup sometimes you'll find guys who are known for their curveball or whatever but what i thought was really interesting was once i got to speak with him a little bit once i got to talk to some people in and around the organization a few people what do you think they're thinking here hey what are you guys thinking here you know these kinds of conversations And there were two things that really stick out to me about Gabriel Hughes. The first is his health. And I think the Rockies have come to really understand that, again, more than any other franchise out there, they need to be hyper-focused on the health of their pitchers and on pitchers who take really good care of themselves. Right now, I can name for you the Rockies' top pitching prospects, and they are Peter Lambert, Ryan Rollison, Chris Oliveras and Chris McMahon. Sorry to Ryan Feltner. Okay, fine, Ryan Feltner. So Felty is the only one of those guys who's been healthy this year, who's been pitching, right? Every single one of those other four has had limited to no innings this season pitched. And that's very difficult, right? And when you get to the to and from altitude, again, I've written and talked about this in the past. I talked to Charlie Blackman about this, the recovery on the body, So when I asked around for a lot of people, they said by far Gabriel Hughes was the healthiest pitcher in this draft of the guys who were going to go in the first round. Now, Hughes was projected to go closer to like 23, 24 from most of the mock drafts that I had seen coming in day of. The Rockies' next pick, as you know, was at 31. So if they thought Hughes isn't going to be on the board... And we don't want to get stuck with having to pick somebody who either, A, just had Tommy John surgery, which they did last year with Jaden Hill. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if he can get back out there. But again, another guy where you've got all these guys who have a ton of talent and and a great deal of intrigue and ability. But as my good friend Mark Knudsen likes to say, best uh, ability is availability. And they haven't been available And all of these other pitchers who were taken in the first round, some of whom have more electric arms and are hitting 98 on the gun and all this type of stuff. And I was intrigued by a few of them. You know, I was intrigued by Riley Pint. You know, high school pitchers who throw 100 miles an hour are super cool. But they went with a guy who's been very, very healthy, who has a pitch mix that should be benefit him well at Coors Field. And then the other big thing that became clear talking with him and, and talking to people about him is he's got a great head on his shoulders. And that's going to be the most important thing. Like he's 
confident, assured, not cocky. Like he, I'll tell you who he reminds me of when I first met him. And this is, this is about the biggest compliment I could pay to a rookie. And a lot of these guys on these days are, you know, overhyped and you, you really get the sense man, man, he's several of them. And I'll talk about that. Actually, it's like, man, you're such a kid. You know, I talk to these major leaguers all the time and they're such kind of men, you know, I don't know what else to say. They're just kind of grizzled in certain ways. You know, Major League Baseball does something to you. But these guys, you know, they're just bright flashing stars of the future shining in their eyes. And it's it's incredible and it's wonderful. But there, there was a kind of quiet, but, and don't get me wrong, Hughes was amped. He was excited to be there, but he just felt in control. And that's what you need on the mound, right? Because you're going to be amped. You're going to be excited to be out there. You're going to be nervous. You're you're going to have all of those emotions running through you, feeling the pressure of wanting to win one for your team. But you've got to be able to rein it in just a little bit. You've got to be able to focus. He's extraordinarily articulate, very present, and very much reminds me of guys like Ryan McMahon. When I first met them, you know, the guys who get it clearly right away. And I think that that's going to be the most important thing for him. You know, if he can get to Coors Field, and it's always an if. I, I can, you know, I know there's some people out there, first round pick, he better make it to the bigs. Doesn't always happen. I suspect he will. I wouldn't bet against this kid right now. And I actually think this ended up being a really smart pick for the Rockies because they need reliable pitchers. It's fun to chase the theoretical ace. It'd be great to have Jacob deGrom on your team, but healthy, right? Max Scherzer, which is the guy he compared himself to, by the way. Gabriel Hughes wants to be Max Scherzer, so there you go. There you have it. Uh, (laughs) You know, but the Rockies, every team, every team needs the other pitchers, the Rockies have just had such a very difficult time getting them, having that depth, having that quality. And so, you know, some people have said to me, you know, did the Rockies waste their first round pick on a guy who's got a ceiling of a three, four starter? And, you know, I, I this is one of the reasons why I, I'm glad I don't have to do immediate draft analysis anymore. And, and maybe if I did, it'd be fine and people would accept it this way. But the, those are the kinds of things that I just think, why are we putting a ceiling or a floor on this kid before he's thrown a single pitch of professional baseball? I don't know. But if he does only turn out to be a solid number three, a decent number four for the Colorado Rockies, that's extraordinarily valuable. And would you love to get more? Out of your first overall pick, sure. Everyone would love to find that superstar player. But those are few and far between anyway. And, you know, they've found just as many. You look at a lot of the superstar players that Rockies have had over the years weren't their first overall pick. Tulo was. Helton was. Arenado wasn't. Blackman wasn't. Story wasn't. Which brings us to our next couple of guys. 
these guys are interesting. Now, I made it clear ahead of the time, ahead of the time, <laughs> you know, ahead of the time, before time existed. <clears throat> I made it clear before the draft, and really anytime I get the opportunity to say, if I was running the room, I'd be so pitching focused, it'd be ridiculous. People would be bothered by it. I would draft overwhelmingly pitchers because it's just so clear to me that that's the most difficult thing to get for the Rockies. Maybe in general, there's no such thing as too many pitchers. There's no such thing as too much pitching depth. Make a guy a reliever. At the end of the day, you need five starters, eight relievers. And if anyone's having a bad day at Coors Field, it becomes a disaster day at Coors Field, right? So I want an army of pitchers if I'm running the show. And so when they went with a couple of college bats, I went, huh, interesting. But then again, I started asking questions, as you should do before you start screaming. <laughs> and learning about the players and learning about what maybe the, the strategy was involved here. And now I see a, a really interesting picture starting to emerge where they clearly, with the picks here of Sterling Thompson and Jordan Beck, went with guys that they believe are going to be ready to hit the big leagues right around the same time as Zach Veen, Drew Romo, you know, maybe Benny Montgomery. We'll see where that goes. But but Veen and Romo and, and kind of that group, right? Tovar, I think we're going to see ahead of them. And I think, even though, like I said, I would have gone a different way, the Rockies may have found a really interesting boon here. And I, and I think they may also be thinking about, you know, the DH in the National League now as well and getting bats, just getting dudes that can rake. And these were the overwhelmingly positive picks because Jordan Beck was seen as one of the best all-around bats in the draft and the Rockies got him at 38. And... You know, he, he was really funny. I, I will say he's he got that thick. Like, he, can, he went to Tennessee. Sounds like he went to Tennessee. You know, he's got the whole thing. It was uh, funny to me. He had the best answer of the day. Uh, you know, you, you see enough of these, and a lot of the questions are the same. A lot of the answers are the same for guys that have just been drafted. It's still fun, but you don't expect too many surprises. Uh, but at one point, uh, Beck was asked by somebody, you know, you'd been drafted once before, and decided to go to college instead of, you know, going to pro or going to major, yeah, to the pros uh, right out of uh, high school. You know, what what kind of went into that decision? And, you know, I was just ready to hear like, hey, you know, we just thought it was the best for my future. Get a little more work in, work on my game. It wasn't the best fit for me. And I'm really happy that I ended up here with the Rockies, right? That, again, I've been here, I've been down this particular road before, but but Jordan goes, you know, at the end of the day, it really all came down to money and they just weren't offering me what I thought I was worth. And so I waited out and thought I could get a better contract. And here I am <laughs> just like, hells yeah, dude, let's go. Like, just say it. Just like, I thought I could get more money. Like that's, that's the actual answer that most guys would give if they didn't think that they weren't allowed to or something, but I thought that was pretty funny that he just went, well, you know, <laughs> that's a, uh, just wanted more money. And so I got it. Like, oh, well, fair enough, dude. I can't, what am I going to say to that? Uh, and then Sterling Thompson. 
And so, uh, well, the, the, before <laughs> they they both have the, this kind of big bat thing. The other thing that was funny, like, is a, a kind of comparison between the two because Sterling was was much more like, and he was born in Longmont, so there were a lot of questions about that. He grew up a Rockies fan. He seems like just this this wonderful kid. He was overjoyed to be there, um, you know, and and he was doing a lot more of the. Oh, you know, I I kind of consider myself an all-around player. I want to be the best hitter I can. I, I want to spray the ball around the park, try to try to hit for some power, but I want to be a really good hitter and, you know, ask the same question. Jordan Beck was like, like, I'm out there to try to hit the home run. Like, the hits will come. The hits will always come when you're trying to hit the ball hard, but I'm trying to hit the ball over the wall. <laughs> Right. Again, I can respect both perspectives. I can respect both attitudes. Um you know, especially if they're going to kind of be around each other for the next couple of years. Of course, Sterling, and you know, somebody asked him about this, and I'm iffy on the question, because on the one hand, he was going to be asked this eventually, you know, about being the Trevor Story pick, because Sterling at 31, that's the pick that the Rockies got for not trading Trevor Story, right? So essentially, for the people who were like, it's absolutely ridiculous, the Rockies didn't trade him, they should have traded him for something, right? Well, now something, whatever something could have been, it's it's been a completely ambiguous concept this entire time. What would something have been? What would somebody have traded for him? Well, the Rockies are going to get a draft pick. Well, what does that even mean? And what do you even get with the kind of draft pick the Rockies are going to get? Now it's this kid, right? Sterling Thompson out of Florida. He's got a big lefty bat. Um, you know, he... He said that he actually prefers playing second base, but feels perfectly comfortable in left field or right field. And says, you know, he takes pride in the kind of versatility of his defense. But, you know, obviously these guys are, are hitters. Uh, they, they, they were taken to be to be hitters. And one of them, like I was saying earlier, with all of these guys around now, Somebody is going to end up in a DH spot, but that's also 100% fine for whoever doesn't develop the most defensively or if the Rockies continue to want to uh, use the DH as a kind of floating, roaming thing. That'll Those are questions that take care of themselves down the road. But, you know, when you inject these guys into it, and it is unfortunate that Sterling is going to have to, and it's not Sterling, by the way, it's Sterling, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that he in particular is going to have to have this thing follow him around because it's 100% a media creation. On the one hand, it's kind of real, it's but it doesn't have anything to do with him. We can talk about it, you know, the media and fans or whatever, and say, well, okay, now the Rockies know what they got for not trading Trevor Story, and it was this guy. And if this guy turns out to be pretty damn good, it sure does justify that move a bit more. And you know, if it goes the other way and makes it harder to justify, that's that's just the nature of the game. That's just how sports go, and that's fine for us. But I don't have anything to do with him. He wasn't... It's not even the same... Like, I find it irritating, you know, when people ask Austin Gomber, how do you feel about having been traded for Nolan Arenado? And we do it all the time, but is that not a self-fulfilling prophecy of the media? Are we not the ones making it a story? Collectively, whatever that means, right? To say, if... If we weren't writing articles and doing podcasts and having think pieces about, hey, this is the guy who was traded for Nolan Arenado, or hey, this is the guy, who, and instead of just, hey, this guy's a player, let's evaluate him for being himself. And I get that part of it is telling stories and telling narratives and 
and all of that. Like I said, I've got no problem with the fans and the media talking in general about, you know, does his play end up justifying what the Rockies did with Trevor Story? That's 100% fair. But saying, hey man, do you feel pressure because you're what the Rockies got for Trevor Story? is like, dude, I'm... You don't think there's enough pressure to just being a professional baseball player, trying to hit the best pitchers in the world, trying to prove yourself, trying to prove that you belong, like trying to make a little bit of money. You know, there's plenty of pressure without going, oh man, I need to be better than Trevor Story or better than whatever the Rockies would have theoretically gotten in, in a different trade for Trevor Story, you know? So, all that said, I think this is great for the Rockies farm system that they had such a good draft that even picks beyond this are generally being praised. Uh, I'm going to be really interested to see when we get around to the updated lists from like MLB Pipeline and uh, Baseball America and stuff. Uh, less where the Rockies farm system ranks because that's almost always useless information, and more where they see these guys fitting into the system now right so does gabriel hughes immediately become the rockies top pitching prospect or are we still keeping ryan rollison in that spot until he's hopefully heard from again right where do these guys fit in and and how much does it impact the way that uh you know the, the farm system is perceived but beyond that what they'll have to offer over the next couple of years the fact that they largely went with older players in this draft is another indication that they're planning on trying to compete over the next two, three, four years, and that they're planning on doing so with these homegrown guys. And so, you know, I won't be surprised if by 2024, we're looking at a roster that includes Ezekiel Tovar, Zach Veen, Drew Romo, Gabriel Hughes, maybe pitchers take a little bit longer. Some might be a bit faster for him, but one of these guys in Becker or uh, Sterling Thompson could be there. Uh, you know, a few other people that I think are going to be around guys like uh, it could be Coco Montez. There could be a little bit of Brenton Doyle. Uh, there's a lot of these guys who I think are going to be fixtures over the next couple of years and I think very similarly to what we saw in 16, 17, and 18. Now, I'm not saying it's going to lead to success necessarily. I need to look deeper at what they've actually got here. And and if it's in the right spots, you can have a great deal of minor league talent. But if they all play the p- same position, if none of them pitch, if none of them solve your bullpen issues, if none of them can make it so that your team stops making these terrible mistakes, you know, whatever it is, it, it has to line up properly. It all has to come together and fit into a puzzle properly. But if so, I think it can lead to wins. But outside of that, Over the next two, three years, I think very similar to 16 through 18, the Rockies are going to see a ton of debuting players. Some of them will be, you know, the really, really exciting top prospects like Veen and Romo and Tovar, you know, and some of them are going to be random ass relievers like we saw Jake Bird this year and didn't know much about him, but but learning and and figuring out who these guys are going to be as they retool themselves because they're never going to do the big teardown rebuild as we all know, but a retooling of, and I think in 24, 
the roster is going to look very different than it does right now. 23, I think it's probably going to be close to some key additions and subtractions. But by 24, we're looking at a whole bunch of turnover, a whole lot of young players having made their debuts. And I think a lot of the guys from this very draft are going to fit right into that. And that's exactly what it seems like Bill Schmidt and the rest of the front office was trying to do, was make sure that they have a lot of these guys who are going to be ready to go right around the same time. So that when they're ready to inject some talent into the system, or I'm sorry, into the major league roster, it's not like one or two guys. And then there's all this pressure on those one or two guys. Like if you just have Zach Veen debut and I was like, all right, make us good, dude. Like that's not fair. But if it's Veen and Romo and Hughes and Beck and Tovar and, you know, now you've got a lot of guys coming up together. They can lean on each other. And that's basically what happened in 17 and 18, where they could all lean on each other. They'd experienced the minor leagues together as a team and I think that's a lot of what we're about to see. So pretty cool to see what's going on with the Rockies young player these young players these days. Uh, I, as much as I said at the beginning, you got to take it with a grain of salt. I still will be curious to see if the evaluators who tend to be very, very tough on this team do kind of update and, and upgrade the, their view of their farm system based on this draft and based on the way the prospects have actually been playing in the last two years now that they're showing they can they can really go so let me know what you think if there's any other players you'd like to hear me discuss if there's anyone else that you're particularly excited about from the draft or from the rockies farm system this year you can hit me up on twitter at drew creaseman of course you can always slide into the dms and ask me about the discord channel make sure you're checking out all the other podcasts here on the mile high sports podcast network and of course the written content over at milehighsports.com Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the bowl. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.